0: So we've, we've been speaking about Vision Month and just, you know, the vision that God has for our church and the, he has a vision for all of us, right, for our lives. And, and we've been talking about building meaningful relationships and, and getting planted in the house of the Lord that we can grow and flourish in our calling, in everything that God has created us to be. And we've kind of really been preaching out of and visiting these scriptures in Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14 each week and kind of building out from there. So let's do this. Let's put that up on the screen one more time here today. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord "...shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall, be, they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing." And being planted in the house of the Lord is critical is necessary to us really fully being raised up like these trees, like these cedars, these palm trees that are, that are growing straight up and growing strong and mature. This is a picture of our spiritual journey, our spiritual walk with the Lord where we live and grow uprightly. We have an upright life that is lived for God, that is uh, exemplary of what Christ has called us to, to, to live out and we continue to grow stronger and more mature in our faith, unshakable and unhindered by the storms and the winds of life. But ultimately, it's what's happening beneath the surface, the unseen, that is the, is significant and key to us growing and being raised up in everything that we're called to do. It's the root system. It's getting planted and building strong roots in the house of the Lord, in our relationship with God, which also re- involves our relationship with one another, our re- our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and our connectedness and our growing together. We are created for that. We all need that. It was interesting. We were doing some work around the house yesterday, and we were clearing out a bunch of brush. And, uh, you know, when you cutting down those trees that are like that big you know those are the those are the craziest because it's very deceiving you come in and you just you chop it off at the base and it's that's real easy to do to just kind of like knock it down and you think okay i got that but then you know like you need to get the root system out or at least get get it up by the roots in order to make sure that thing doesn't just grow back and continue to create problems for you around your drain system and everything so we were doing that yesterday picking out, you know, with a pickaxe, the roots and stuff, and man, it was as you get down and dig down around and you're trying to pull those roots, it's like those suckers just go everywhere, you know, and and they're like a bunch of offshoots and they're just Connected, they're just running everywhere, and it's like, man, this is really hard to get this thing up. And I tell you something, it was like God spoke to me yesterday when we were doing this. and It was so awesome. He's like, this is a picture. Like the enemy is trying to knock people down. He's trying to pluck people up, but when their roots grow vast and deep, it's like he can't get them up because they're anchored and rooted in the fertile soil of the house of the Lord. And as I was pulling and I was pulling on some of these roots, there were other roots from the trees around it. This is awesome there were other trees from the roots around it that were kind of like wrapped in and they were just sort of like growing together. And as I was pulling, I finally thought I'm getting this thing out. It was like the other roots from the other trees were locked in and saying, no, you can't have this thing. Right? But when we're growing together in the house of the Lord and our relationships with one another, and the enemy, he tries to pull one of us, he tries to devour somebody. It's like the rest of the brothers and sisters in Christ are wrapped around and growing so intimately and so close. It's like, no, you can't have this one, devil. Right? It's just, it's a part of what God has created us for and how He's called us to grow. It's a part of what contributes and adds to us becoming everything that He's created us to be. And so, where I want to finish up today um, on, on our Vision Month series here is I want to look at the very beginning stages of the New Testament church, and I want us to see this picture. Of how the church became explosive, and the beginning of when God's children, who were uh, given His Spirit, were growing and and becoming and growing up into all that they were created to be. And in order to do that, we have to go back to the Book of Acts. Because there's this whole period of time where Jesus comes, he's incarnate in human flesh, and he walks among the world for that time of 33 plus years in his life. So he's God in flesh form with us, but whenever he dies... Conquers death by being risen from the grave, and then he ascends back to the Father in heaven. See, during that period of time, it was a distinctly different period because after that something happens where Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, and that is what really marks and infuses God's people with his Holy Spirit in order to begin growing up and becoming all that they're created to be. There is power that He actually that God actually sends, where you know Jesus walked among the world in human flesh, but the Holy Spirit comes and actually lives inside of each and every believer. So there was a distinctly different period that began to happen after that. And so when we look at the book of Acts, Acts is written by Luke, okay? Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Now, the things that happen in the book of Acts take place, this is the these are the, uh, the closest events that begin to happen after Jesus completes his work on the cross. So if you're looking at chronological time... Acts and the things that happen are the, is basically what picks up right after the Gospels and right after Jesus' time here on earth. and It's referred to as the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles a lot of times, but really more appropriately, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through all of those who came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, Luke was one of Paul's good friends. He traveled with Paul during a lot of his journeys. He was also a physician. He was known as a historian. He was a researcher. So he gave great, accurate accounts of a lot of the things that happened through his writings. Um, Historians, when they read Luke's writings, talk about the accuracy and just the way that it's laid out. So that's a little bit about that. So we're going to get into the book of Acts in chapter 2. So open your Bibles if you have those And we're going to start... I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do here. I'm going to show you a picture... In sh- later in chapter 2 of the New Testament church as it begins to thrive and, and the members of the body of Christ beginning to thrive and flourish and seeing the works of God happening in and through them. And then once we do that, I'm going to go back a little earlier and I want to show you the key or the source to how all of this begins to happen because this is appropriate and timely and significant for us in our lives today to recognize what the picture of the church thriving and growing looks like. but to also know and understand the source of where that comes from. So in verse 40, we will begin. This is Peter. We'll see that uh, Peter is preaching and speaking to the people who are gathered together, um, and and he's talking to them in verse 40. I'm just going to dive in. He says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. How would you, can you imagine a a one day growth of 3,000 people in the church? Like, think of it if this church just grew by 3,000 people. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, listen, that's not so different than what actually happened right here. Because there were only a few hundred that were actually gathered together, over a hundred that were gathered together that be, where this whole movement started to happen after Jesus was gone. And you say, well, we live in, you know, there's a lot more people in the world. Well, Waterloo is about a town of 10,000 people and where they were at wasn't necessarily so much bigger and so much larger in that day than what the town that we live in and the surrounding areas are right now. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That was amazing, right? So anyway, moving forward, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common sold possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, another version says singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wow. So here's as pure, as perfect of a picture as what we can get of the, of the body of Christ functioning and thriving together, the way that God has created her to, the way Jesus empowered her to. We see, first of all, m- massive conversion. We see revival. We see... Uh, People who are coming to know the Lord and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in droves, in large numbers. But we also see continual, gradual growth every single day. The Lord added to those who were being saved daily. So there's this growth, and it's healthy growth. It's rich growth that's fueling the body of Christ so that the mission And the message of the gospel can continue to be advanced and that more people ultimately can know that they're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ one day. There's this movement of growth that's happening. And it says here that they continued steadfastly in four things in verse 42, if you want to put that back up there. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine... So they were growing, they were being taught, they were learning the word of God, they were being students and they were hungry to know and learn more about Christ, about who he was and about who they were in Christ, right? There was this growth, there was this spiritual growth that was happening and fellowship. Look, they were building community, godly community together they were they were hanging out they were doing life together you know sometimes they were studying and and learning the word of god and and being taught and other times they were just hanging out right and doing life they were Eating and having food and meals, they were celebrating things as their kids got older together. Like they were fellowshipping and doing life together. All these things are traits or characteristics that are marking this growth and this movement of what the church is. What the church is emerging into. It says next. It says in the breaking of bread. Now, I used to think that that was another way of looking at fellowship, and and it is, but there's more to it than that, because in the early first few centuries, most of the New Testament church leaders, after the apostles in a lot of their writings, continue to refer to breaking of bread from house to house as actually having communion together. So this is really important, because it, it was... They were having meals and they were sitting down and they were, you know, fellowshipping. But they were also doing it in a way where they were coming together in intimacy with the Lord, with one another. Not only privately, they were doing that individually, but they were also having the breaking of bread, which is communion, where they would celebrate what Christ had done and then the hope of His return, which is and the act of communion, obviously what we do. And so they were breaking bread and drinking of the cup and. There was that represents a time of intimacy and gathering. It's a form of worship and declaring the good things of God together. So think about that. Like when, when we hang out and when we build relationships together, that there's a part of that that's doing life together, but there's a part of that that's all of us growing in our intimacy, declaring the good things of God, celebrating the works that God has done. You realize that that's a part of what infused infuses the relational activity of those who are connected together and growing in the body of Christ. So very simply thinking about this, when you're at dinner or when you're hanging out and you're just talking about, what's God doing in your life right now? You know, that's a very important thing. Like when Katie and I hang out with people and we're just doing things, like that's a question we ask a lot. Like, what's God doing in your life right now? Like, what's He speaking to you? What do you feel like God is, you know, what are you believing for in this time in your life? Because those are the kinds of conversations where it builds that intimacy together, not just in relationship with one another, but also that the Lord is there and He's present and that that's a part of what's bonding and fusing these relationships together. Are you with me so far? All right. And it says here, after the breaking of bread, it says, and in prayer. And, you know, we pray diligently. The Bible says that we, you know, just do not cease in our prayer. It means that we're always in a mode of prayer, but there's something powerful about coming together and praying corporately or in groups, much like we just experienced this morning. You know, I think the Holy Spirit was certainly leading and speaking to JJ and guiding that whole thing because He said, Let's pray for one another in these small groups that we were in. And that's exactly what the kind of thing that was happening on a regular basis, on a routine basis in the lives of the people that were a part of this early church, right? I mean, when people are going through things or struggling or believing for something, it, it, it ought to be just a normal, standard response where it's like, well, let's pray together. Like, let's pray about that. But you know what I found, and this is crazy, but this is real that in in groups in even people in the church that you get into, it's like somehow it's just awkward or uncomfortable sometimes for people to even pray together, right much less in their own homes and in their own families like. We, if we're not praying together as families in our homes, sitting down, husband and wife, children, praying together consistently, we're not praying together in our relationships with one another, Like we're missing something significant that marked the movement of the early church and the church the way God created it and established it to be. And that's a part of the growth of the church, thus also uh, all of us individually in our own lives and what we're called to do. All right, so you see these things—they're growing. It's being added to daily, but they're—they're they're breaking bread. They're having intimacy with the Lord together. They're—they're they're having meals together. They're praying together. They're fellowshipping and just hanging out and celebrating, doing life together. And they're also uh, learning and growing together in the Word, in in small groups. And you know, it says here. This is really interesting that before it gets into all that, oh, it also says that that there were miracle signs and wonders that were being done through them too. So there was an outpouring that was happening consistently, like God was moving around them and among them and miraculous things were happening, which that has not changed so far as God's intention and what his desire is to do through the body of Christ in and around them, that doing miraculous things, wondrous things, whether it's healings or whether it's uh, you know, reconciliation, restoring relationships, or whatever it might be, that God is still at work today in and through the church and desires to do these miraculous things, but he's doing them if you see in and through those who are connected to him. That's the way that he works. That's the way that he moves. Now, he's sovereign, and he can do anything and any time with what, however he chooses to do, and his wisdom surpasses our understanding in a, a vast measure. But we can definitely draw from the Scriptures that God works in and through the body of Christ, most prevalently in the world, in the way that he performs his miraculous works. He does that through believers who are connected together. Are you with me? So listen to this. It says here, they continued steadfastly in these things. Now that, those, that verse caught my attention uh, because you see that they're doing these things, but they're not doing them in like a haphazard manner. They're not doing them in a way where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, we'll do that if we get to that. Or yeah, if that happens to pop up, that'll be a good thing. It's It's something that they're doing to continue steadfastly in something means to do something with great aggression. It means to have a persisting power or a persevering power and strength in doing something in the face of adversity or opposition. So think about this. This whole growing together, building together, the way that we see the picture of the church thriving, it is going to meet opposition if we're going to 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 walk in this we have to understand that it's something we're going to have to move forward with in a persevering strength and against adversity and opposition how many times have you decided to move forward with God it's a new time it's a new day you're going to you're going to No more turning back. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to join that small group. I'm going to, you know, uh, start reading my Bible more, whatever it might be. How many times have you attempted to do that or step into that and all of a sudden something happens that begins to try to throw that thing off course or derail it and interrupt the situation before you get to a point where that becomes a pattern in your life and it's happening consistently? Has anybody but me ever experienced that, right? Right? Listen, we ought not to be surprised by this. Like, it's right here. We, they had to continue steadfastly in these things. They had to have a persevering strength and power in which they move forward in order for those things to continue happening. And it's because they continue to happen with consistency day in and day out that the movement continued to be fueled and grow. But we have to do this in the face of opposition. We can't be hindered. We can't be swayed. We can't say, I'm going to start out and do this, and then one little thing happens that interrupts our schedule or interrupts us being able to go, and then we back out, and then we don't re-engage in that again. You see, the enemy is at work in that. Now, there's circumstances and things that happen in our lives that just kind of throw us off. I get that. But listen, the Bible says Peter refers to, he says, you have an adversary, the devil, who lurks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Devour is is the full destruction of everything God wants to do in and through his people. So any step in the direction of godliness, any move or decision we make in an attempt to grow closer to God, to grow closer to one another in the body, the enemy is like, oh, no, no, I don't want to see that happen because I know what the outcome of that produces and how that believer is going to continue to be raised up in strength and authority and he's going to realize one day that I'm actually under his foot and he doesn't know that right now so the enemy is going to continue to try to throw these things off to interrupt these plans and to divert these plans and so when we see that they continued steadfastly in this stuff we got to recognize they were fighting hell in order to make this thing happen You with me? They were doing battle in order to fight for and contend for this movement and this community that was growing and building among them. But you know what I believe? I really believe that as they looked among themselves and they saw, this is so amazing. This is so rich. This is so beautiful what's happening. This is worth fighting for. They recognized that and they were willing to get engaged and fight against the enemy to make sure that these things continued to happen. Thank God that they did because through their persevering strength, even in face of opposition, God's spirit continued to be poured out among them and his movement continued to grow. Now look, in this day, the adversity, the the opposition, it looked a lot like persecution to them. Like they had the, the Roman government under the emperor Nero persecuting, seeking out, killing, and, and just martyring anyone who was of the Christian faith. They were trying to squash this movement. That's the opposition that they faced. That's what they had to continue steadfastly against in order to fight for what was happening in them. So much so that it got to the point, guys, where they couldn't even go and worship in the synagogues together anymore because the threat was too great. If they gathered in groups and there was this powerful move happening and they were in the public eye, the Roman authorities would come and they would kill them. They would squash it. So that's what ultimately ultimately the reason for them beginning to meet in homes and groups and small thing and just meeting house to house that's what actually happened they said fine if you're going to try to catch us in the public square in the synagogue and kill us then we're just going to go meet in homes where you can't find us we're just going to continue steadfastly in this fellowship in this breaking of bread together in this growing in the doctrine together It was like no matter what they had to do, they would find a way to make sure it persisted. Is that the posture that we're living right now in our own lives for the things of God and for the things that he's calling us to? Is it truly something that we can say, I am continuing steadfastly in my life to ensure that these growth, these things are happening and that even though there's opposition, it's not going to thwart the growth, the raising up and the purpose that God has for me and for my family in my life because that's the way that they looked at. It. For us today, it certainly isn't persecution like this. We're not being hunted down. I, I don't know about you, But I never once this morning had any concern that there were going to be soldiers showing up at the door to drag all of us out of here and behead every one of us and kill us. Never once crossed my mind. You know what we face? Cares of the world. Busyness of life. Those are the things right now that we need to recognize. It's a subtle enemy, but it's a powerful one. We must recognize just as they were facing persecution in the early days of the church from the Roman authorities, right now, today, the subtle cares of the world, the the busyness of life, it is just as interruptive, it is just as distracting and deterring to these things continuing to happen in the church and in our lives as that persecution was some 2,000 years ago. We have to fight that enemy steadfastly with strength. Now, here's what's beautiful about all of this. We look at these things that they're doing. We see these things unfolding and happening. But listen, I want to announce to you today that it wasn't by any means of their own strength or by any effort of their own Man, their physical man, or their willpower—that they were able to persist and and continue steadfastly in these things. You see, when you look at these verses in chapter two, you have to then back up and look at what happened right before this occurred to see how they are continuing steadfastly in these things. If you go to chapter one, first of all, we have this event where Jesus is appearing for some 40 days to all of his disciples and his apostles. They're, they're seeing the risen Christ. For 40 days, this is happening. And at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is getting ready to leave and he's getting ready to go and ascend to heaven to take his place seated at the right hand of the Father in which he will stay until the day of his return. Now, this is the event that takes place right before he leaves Watch closely to what he says to them and how he instructs them. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he, being Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So pausing right there, he's not sending them out to go do these things yet. He's not saying go and do the miraculous things now and build. He's saying just, just wait, Terry, until you receive the promise from the Father, which I have told you about. Which back in the later chapters of John, Jesus, when he was before the crucifixion, spoke to them and said, but when I leave, I'm going to send a helper, the promise of the Father. He'd already talked to them about this, and now that he is the risen Christ walking among them before the ascension, he's reminding them of this promise, and he's saying, now go, stay in Jerusalem, and wait, or tarry, in the city until you receive the promise of the Father. And he doesn't say how long, and he doesn't say anything else. He just says, wait until it happens. And then they begin to ask him. They say, well, is this at the time, God, where you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought, oh, he's going to come back and be the military leader now, and we're going to regain control of all the land, and our army is going to be strong. Is kind of what they were thinking. But that's not what Jesus was thinking. He was saying, I am going to go and become your high priest now. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the Father, and the promise that I'm going to send, listen to this, in verse, see, let's, verse six, it says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the key to all of this was that the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, that came and came with power was poured out to them, and that was the empowering strength that they received that enabled them to continue steadfastly in all of these things. I don't know about you, but I rejoice at that knowledge, at that truth, at that revelation, that I am not expected as a mere man to continue steadfastly in the face of a devil, in all of these things that God may fulfill the work in my life, I am empowered from something on high that is in me, that permits and, and, and helps me to be able to walk these things out the way that God is calling us to. See, the growth in the church, it was the growth that was empowered and fueled by the very spirit of God that was in them. That's why he said, go and wait for this to happen. So when you jump down to chapter 2, verse 1, here is where it takes place. Now, this is about a week later after Jesus ascends. So they go, and they're tarrying, and they're waiting in the city of Jerusalem. After about a week of this, it happens. Verse 1, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's that wind again. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Peter goes on to basically give a sermon after this because it says that now all of the people who were still gathered around Jerusalem from far off countries that were there to celebrate the feast and the festival, they, this, powerful thing is happening and it says that they all started to come together so they gathered and they congregated around this movement that was happening and then peter begins to give this sermon that's one of the most powerful sermons ever because now he's fueled with the holy spirit and it says that it cuts them to the heart when they talk about how they crucified jesus And they're repentant. And they're saying, what should we do to be saved? And he says, you should repent and you should be baptized and you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. He says, and then after that, verse 39, it says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, us, as many as the Lord our God will call. You see, the promise of the Father That Jesus talked about that power from on high was a promise that was given to these people to their children and all who would come to know Jesus after that for as many years as would take place until Christ would return that promise is still alive and fresh for us here in the church today we perform or move or walk or operate from a place of power not from individual strength The main thing to take out of this is that if we're trying to grow, if we're trying to continue steadfastly in the things of God, in our own strength, it will never work. That's why the power of the Holy Spirit came. That word in the Greek power is a word called dynamis or dynamai, and it's actually where we get the English word today dynamite from. It means a miraculous performing power to be able to fully accomplish all that God has called you to. Are you living in power? Are you operating from a place of power? Or are you trying to do this thing from a place in your own strength? The Bible says that in our weakness is where the strength of God is most visible. We have to recognize there is there's nobility in you. There is no ability in me to do these things, to walk the the life of godliness out that God has called us to, but there is a power that we are given and have access to that lives and resides in us because, see, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, he is all-powerful, and now we become partakers of that same nature so that same power is available to us to walk and live and move forward in our lives. And do the things that God has called us to. Isn't that amazing? And let's, so let's do this. Let's close by going back to the the, the Psalm 92. Put verse 14 up there. We might have lost that. Okay, we're down. That's all right. So it says, it's okay. I don't need it. So it says in, in Psalm 92 as they're growing and they're flourishing. It says as they continue to age, that they will be uh, fresh and that they will grow. And in that word "fresh," mean if you look at that, it actually gives a description of sap. Do you remember we were talking about trees, right? Well, every tree that's growing and that's thriving and continuing to build strong roots and mature uprightly, it is filled with sap. There is sap flowing through the tree. That's carrying all of the nutrients, all of the minerals, everything that's being extracted out of the soil is being delivered to all of the parts of the tree, to the littlest branches, to the buds, to everything. If there's sap flowing, then that tree is vital and healthy in those places. If you pull the sap out of the tree, you remove the very life source that's flowing in it in order to bring health and vitality to every part of it. This is the Holy Spirit at work in us. That sap, that life-giving power that the Holy Spirit provides is intended to flow and move into every place of our lives. It's supposed to be evident in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, your friends, the way you go about your work and your vocation, everything. The life of God and the power of God ought to be flowing into every single place and part of who we are and the wonderful thing is is that that is a power that is readily available and that god is eager to give to us you remove that if we live outside of that power then we live from a place of trying to do godly things in human strength and that is never a formula for flourishing stand to your feet with me